Okay, we're back into Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. And he sent this letter to the church of Pergamum, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Anabas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Some translations say, I know where you lived, and some say, I know where your works are. And so you can take your pick there. He said that they lived where Satan has great power. This was a major center for imperial worship. It was required in the Roman Empire that you offer offerings. You can pray to whoever you wished, and you can have whatever kind of religion you have, as long as you honored the emperor and prayed for him. The true Christian refused to recognize him as being divine, and they recognized the Lord as being the only true God. So that was in conflict with the Roman way of thinking. And they believed that these Christians were traitors, and therefore they persecuted them and caused problems for them. The Lord commends them for holding on, for enduring during times of persecution. And they were persecuted for they only believed in the true God and Jesus Christ and the true faith. To be a Christian meant being looked down on. It was not a so-called popular vocation. Today, two billion people out of almost eight billion, uh, you say a fourth of the world, claims to be Christian. Even though if you study scripture, you'll see and understand that most of them are false Christians And Jesus will deny them and say, I never knew you at the great judgment when they say, Lord, Lord. John, in receiving this prophecy later on at the end of the prophecy, he sees certain visions and it said he marveled. What did he marvel at? If you go back and study the scriptures, it was the church. She had become the great whore among the nations, and all of them, they were claiming to be Christians. And he found this astounding, because at his time, it was not popular to be a Christian. Even after Christianity had been propagated for six or seven generations, it's believed there was probably about 200,000 out of 70 million people that were Christians. So that should tell you something. So it's so popular today, you have to ask yourself, where have they compromised? Where have they changed? They've beaten the sword of the spirit, which is conviction and disturbance and admonishment. They've beaten it into a spoon to make it tasteful, to make it popular. So the mega churches, you do not hear much about sin and judgment, or wrath, or holiness, really. They are excused for their sins. They are pampered. They are told that they can have the best of this world 
and the next, which is idolatry. Much of the prosperity teaching is nothing but materialism, covetousness. And yet this is the multitude of the big churches. And they are deceived, and we will find out or remind you why they're deceived. There's only a couple of reasons, and we will find out later what they are again. So we see this was the major center in Turkey for the empress worship. It was called Asia Minor. It was a province under the Roman system. So even when one of their leaders was killed, he was martyred, they believe, during this time. And it was a powerful place. Even Jesus said it was a powerful place of Satan. It meant that he had a lot of servants and there were very few Christians. And he says his faithful witness, Antipas, was martyred. Some believe he was the bishop of the church. He was definitely outspoken, most likely, leader at the church of Pergamon. Verse 14, but I have these things against you. As I keep reminding ourselves, each of these churches, like the seven churches that Paul preached, there were those who were great fault, and there were some who were not. He commends those who are doing good, and he reproves those who are not. So this we need to understand. He's not talking to the same person. These are what we would call home churches spread throughout an area and made one church. There was no church building. There was no Ephesus. So we have to understand this, that the church then was totally different from today. So still, even in their faithfulness, some were faithful. They were still going to church, okay, even with their faults. But we find that all of them were not sound before the Lord. He finds some fault with them. Some of the church groups, small groups, were faithful. Some of them had fallen into heresies, and he has things to say to them. And so some people say, that's what they don't like. Oh, the Lord, today, a person would say, well, he's not as so exacting as the Old Testament God. Well, he is the Old Testament God, and he has not changed when it comes to holiness and truth. And people need to understand this. And he will not excuse sin no more now than he did then. If you hear any teaching otherwise, you are hearing lies and deceptions. So the fault one was, or the main one, was you permitted false teachers in your midst. They did not like this. So what does he say in 14? But I have a few things against you. Because you have some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Remember, he was the Gentile prophet who became false. He was true, and he recognized Jehovah as his God. Who kept teaching Balak, that was the king of his area, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things offered or sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. What Balaam basically did was the Lord forbid him by the angel with the sword, warned him, you will only prophesy what I tell you to. And he only prophesied good, and Balaam 
wanted lots of money and power, and he wanted to prophesy a curse on him, and God would not do it. So when he got back to his area, because he couldn't prophesy against them, he gave the people counsel and told them basically, let your children, your sons and your adults, let your men and women mingle with the Israelites and marry them, and that way they'll change their ways, because that was forbidden. He says, and then God will judge them. So the way and teaching of Balaam was to cause destruction for money. That's what was behind it. Today, they cause destruction by teaching this ultra-prosperity and covetous teaching. They're doing the same thing, just a different way. Okay? And he says the teaching was similar to the teaching of Balaam was like the Nickelodeons and the Gnostics. It was very much alive in those areas. Okay? We heard about the Nickelodeons. They were more like the ultra-Calvinistic once saved, always saved. They believed your spirit could not sin, and so you could do anything you wanted with your body and soul. You could commit adultery. You could commit idolatry. That was their thinking. You can see why they're headed where they're headed. Very popular. Even today, they just mask it in other terms. They thought the eating in the pagan temples and having fellowship was okay. And they even were fornicating or committing adultery. Many of these religions, immorality was a part of their religion. The Corinthians when Paul went to them, they were heavy into this. So you have to understand it was a part of their willing worship, and that's why it was popular. So they thought loose living was okay. We do not find this ever with the Lord. They felt the spirit again was sinless. So the body and the soul, it was unimportant what you was done to them. But like I said before, as a person, that is the spirit and soul. They're not separated. That's a false doctrine. Wherever the spirit goes, the soul goes. Wherever the soul goes, the spirit goes. You not find scripture dividing. That is a personality. And they're both capable of setting or not setting. We're seeing this by the teaching Apostle Paul. He said, I hope or pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless, implying it may not be, and that it's a progress, this sanctification. So he's telling you, if you understand Scripture, that the soul and spirit can refuse to obey. That's why people get cut off from Christ. They don't bear fruit. They don't have good works, spiritual works. They don't have obedience. And they don't bear fruit. And after a while, the father says, you're not to be a part of my son anymore. If you're not going to obey him as Lord, then you're not going to be a part of him. So he cuts them off. And the scripture says, and their end is to be burned. We need to understand what he's talking about then. So there are many professing Christians today Sounds like the once saved, always saved. I've been familiar with them for 50 years. 
And many teach this doctrine. So they have no fear of the Lord. They look at good works as uh, holier than thou. Jesus did it all so they can live in sin and have a license to sin. That's what's behind it. And I know from experience, I'm not telling you from hearsay. In many years, I did phone counseling. I dealt with many of these people. They'll sit there and be living in adultery and fornication for years. And they tell me that they are a Christian that Christ is not on the throne. I said, you're deceived and on your way to hell. If you ever had Christianity, you lost it. See, the Apostle Paul said those who practice, and he named 20-some sins, he said they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is heaven. That's what he meant. So the great man of faith and grace is very plain if you want to see the truth. But many like to dance around and and say, well, he didn't mean this, and they come up with these plausible answers. But we see that the Apostle Paul stated, he said, let no one deceive you. So he already warned them. He warned the three churches. He wrote similar to Galatians, to the Corinthians, and to the Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, What did he say to them? He said, let no one deceive you. He said the same basic message to each one. Those who practice sin shall not inherit the kingdom. There is no way to get around this. There is no way to get around if you don't bear fruit. Those in Christ, the vine, they are saved. There's no question about them professing to be saved. They are in Christ. Paul uses that term often for a Christian. Never uses it for a non-Christian. But he says Jesus himself, every branch in me that stops, that's what it means. He stops bearing fruit. He doesn't bear fruit. He has no root in him. He doesn't go on. He says the Father will cut him off. He will go back spiritually as if he was in the world. And his state will be worse because he's crucified Christ afresh. Verse 15, so you also have some who teach the same way, remember, holding the teaching of the Nicolaitans. That was his main argument. And you'll find a few of the churches. It comes out with their previous church and says it. But what was their main teaching? A license to sin. That your spirit could not sin. But if you wanted to commit fornication and adultery and idol worship, it didn't matter because your spirit was saved. That's a big, big heresy today. And these people are going to be speechless when they're cast into the lake of fire. They're going to be speechless at the great judgment when they say, but Lord, Lord, look at all the good we did. And he says, you are lawless and you are cursed of my father into everlasting punishment. See, he didn't care what good they did. Didn't James say, he that offends... Uh, One point of the law is guilty of the whole law. That was the rich young ruler. That was many people. They'll give tithes and offerings. They're very active in their church. One of the churches is very active. And we will find that Jesus said, but you are dead. Isn't that interesting? And then we find another one that said, we don't need anything. We're so filled. And he says, you're blind and naked. Uh, He had nothing good to say about them. So man's evaluation, remember, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination 
to the Lord. So they're going to sit there and think of all the good things they did, and like that is going to get them off. But see, technically the Lord will look at them and can and say, but you were living in adultery, a gross sin. You were into covetousness, the prosperity. You were given over to luxurious living, and you love the world more than you love God. And that cancels out everything they do. See, the world doesn't understand that. They think it's going to be weighed. I've heard so many people, your good will be weighed here and your bad here. It's not going to be that way. If you don't remain, what did Paul say, to the Gentiles? He said some of the Jews were cut off because of their rebellion and unbelief. And he said, and you were grafted in. And he said, but you'll be cut off also if you do not abide in his goodness and his grace. If you don't live what he expects and follow him, you're no better than the Jews. If the highest being in heaven outside of the deity, Lucifer, because of his rebellion, he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. Do you think that he didn't at one time serve the Lord? Do you not think that God, Jehovah, did not love him as one of his? Yet look what happened to him. So God is showing us he is no respecter of persons. He is not moved by his pity and his long-suffering, but so long. Then his justice and judgment come into play, or he would not be just himself. So he tells us this through various scriptures. His patience will run out. Paul said it's the long-suffering God that should lead people to repentance. He was talking to the Jew, the backslidden Jew. They would be Christians of today. But he refuted them. He said, you go through all the forms, you're circumcised, but because you don't obey the Lord, all of this is counted as nothing. So when people read Scripture, take it for face value. Don't look for ways to dance around Scripture. That's what most people do. When they don't like a certain teaching of the Bible, they, oh, it don't mean that, or they avoid it. Oh, let's just talk about positive things. Well, one time a person when counseling, they didn't want to be reproved. They told me. They said, you know, I really listened to positive things. I said, well, there's nothing positive for you spiritually. You're on your way to hell. Chocks these people. See, because they've been pacified and their sins have been excused and condoned. And we're talking about gross sin. We're not talking about flaws and minor things. So these people deceive themselves. So they justly get what they deserve. And isn't the poor sinner who's lost? You don't find that in Scripture. They're responsible for their sins, or they would not be called into judgment. Okay? Look at Second Peter. It would be Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. Worth reading. I've read it many times. But there were also false prophets. A prophet claims, and it is if he's true, he speaks for God. That's basically what it means. He speaks the mind of God, the message of God to the people. doesn't speak his own message. Whatever he teaches and preaches, and they were teachers in the old, it had to be based on God's truth. As, as there were false prophets among the people, 
even as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Well, God doesn't strike them dead with lightning or anything. He doesn't just say, oh, I will have them run over by a car. What is the swift destruction? People don't want to talk about it. They think that's a fine word. Swift destruction is they're cut off from the vine, they're cut off from Christ, and they're cut off from grace when God makes up his mind. That's why he always warned, even in these churches, the Lord says, repent quickly. Lest I come and take your lampstand. Lest I war against you. It is no teaching that God bears with them for 10 and 20 and 30 years. This is foolishness. He bears with many because of his long suffering. But teachers and those who think they're prophets, they are accountable to God for more because of the people they deceive. So we have to understand that. And many, doesn't say a few, And many will follow the destructive ways, and the way of truth will be blasphemed. Well, this is why you're listening to me on a teaching tape. This is why I don't have a large audience. This is why people don't want to hear it. It's the time that we live in. Jesus himself said, as a whole, people love darkness rather than light. They love the lie rather than the truth. And they will not come to the light. I mean, he said that himself. The masses as a whole will not be converted. It's not that they can't, they won't. They have the right to, and they choose not to. And then on the other end, Paul says the time will come. Well, if it isn't now, I don't know when it's going to be, that men will not endure sound teaching. He's talking about godly teaching. They'll listen to false teaching. They'll listen to watered down mixed gospel with new age and everything else and all kinds of fallacies, but they will not listen to the truth. They'll shut their ears and we will see the consequence of that is God turns them over to lying spirits and they are deceived further. So see, it's a dangerous thing to mingle with the spirit of truth. It's a dangerous thing to alter God. The last sin that's mentioned in the book of Revelations of the people being cast into the lake of fire later is lying. God holds no prophet to lie. No liar shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He said they'll be cast into hell. To give a false gospel is to give a lie. But by covetousness, you should say today, uh, by the prosperity teachings and stuff, They will exploit you. That means they will merchandise you. All of these programs, they constantly are begging for money. And most likely the ones begging have more money than you have. And they teach covetousness and greed and materialism with deceptive words. It means they lie to the people. Tell them that God wants them to do this. And that God guarantees them a hundredfold and he'll bless everything. They It isn't always the case. You don't see the churches who believe the gospel. One of them was in deep poverty and Jesus said, you're rich. One was rich financially, Laodicea, and he said they were naked and blind. They'd lost their Christianity. And he's warning the rest and those We will see later that Jesus is on the outside knocking to be let back in. 
See, people don't want to see it for what it is. They were lost. Okay? So we have to understand this. They incur Christ's spiritual destruction. It's spiritual, and ultimately it will be destruction or damnation and the lake of fire. So this is why many churches and many mega places, they go on and on and they see thousands and they prosper financially. The devil does this too because the other teachings damn their souls. They don't. The devil doesn't care if you're rich or not. If he can divert you from the truth like he did the rich young ruler, he's already got you. He doesn't need anything else, okay? Some true Christians fall from grace this way, giving heed, it says, to false teachers. Notice he says, too, we have to understand, and he says, therefore, you're like the Nickelodeons, too, he reminded them, repent. It means come back to the truth. It means confess your sin and stop sinning. Paul said, you who sin, sin no more. He taught repentance. John says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. And it meant you stop it. So if you are in adultery, you confess the adultery and you stop committing adultery. Or your confession and repentance is empty. means nothing to God. has no value whatsoever. But he warns them, if you do not repent, I am coming to you quickly. He says this about three times or so to the churches. And what does he say? I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. It means you will be my enemy. That's what it means. I will make war. He only makes war against the wicked and demonic forces. So he says, I'm giving you time to repent. If you don't, this is what I'm going to do. And judgment comes from the mouth of the Lord. We have to understand this. Three times in Scripture, I mean in this couple of chapters, that his judgments come. He cuts some branches off to make war again. They are enemies of God. They have become wicked. This is what it means. So you can see why some of the false teachings, some of the beliefs, I've had some Christian teachers tell me scriptures and epistles and and the book are not really scripture. They are already damned if they're a teacher. Because Jesus warned, if you take away at the end anything of this prophecy, I'll take away your name out of the book of life if you were there. You may have started off a Christian. You may be a babe Christian. And eventually you were deceived because you didn't want to see the truth. And that's how you can get licensed to sin. He said, you read Hebrews and Revelation, you can't get license to sin. And read First John and James, you cannot get a license to sin. See, you have to do away with scripture to come to that. As I've said before, ultra Luther and Luther, he was a Roman Catholic priest. He didn't want to get out of the church. He was put out and he answered a heresy with the heresy. He didn't believe the book of Revelations. He didn't believe the book of Hebrews. He didn't believe the book of James or Jude. So what does the scripture tell you? He's a heretic. See, I tell people that. They don't like that. Half of Europe and the northern Europe is Scandinavia is Lutheran. 
But I'm glad to say that most Lutherans don't go along with Luther. Now, sometimes Luther, when he wrote his Bible, he put those books at the end and he lets you know he didn't believe they were scripture, but they were good, lived by its principles. That's still heresy and a false teaching. So some Christians will fall from grace this way. They will give heed to the false teachers. He will judge them if they do not repent. They will become his enemies and not the children of God. We need to understand this. In the seven churches, every church is warned and told to overcome. Contrary to false Calvinist teachers, we have not totally overcome. We overcome, John says, by abiding in him. Future overcoming is determined by the person if he's faithful to the end. You have eternal life if you stay with Christ. But your soul is not saved at the end. Your spirit, if you do not remain with him. See, it's so simple. So you can see that when these intellectual, supposedly theologians teach negatively, then they're under a spirit. I've done talk to these people. They're smarter than I am and others. They can quote scripture. I knew one man who could quote the whole New Testament. And he taught ultra-Calvinism. So he taught a false heresy that once you were saved, you were always saved. See, he didn't learn much. The Spirit kept him deceived. But he could quote a lot of scripture. Verse 17. He who has the ear to every church he warns, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. He never once said to any of the churches that they'd already overcome. They are living, overcoming lives. Some of them, some of them were not. And that's why he's warning them. So he's telling them to hold on and stay faithful because they're the only ones that make it happen. It's said later in the book of Revelation that the ones that are the Lord's, they are the called, the chosen. People like that, the chosen. They're chosen because they repent and confess the Lord. They're called. The call of the gospel is to many. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few receive the call. But in Revelation, it says the ones that are his, that come with him, they are called, chosen, and faithful. See, people like to leave that one out. They say, oh, well, that means works. We don't want nothing to do. We want to send to prove that works aren't important. Sounds like the Nicolaitans, doesn't it? Okay. To him who overcomes, I will give of the hidden manner. I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Each of the promises to the churches applies to all the churches. Eventually, They all get that eventually. But he brings out not only the purpose of blessings on the ones that's faithful, but cursing on the ones who are not faithful to the end. So he says, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Listen to him. Stay with Christ until the end of your life. What do you have to overcome? I tell people, that don't mean you have to be outwardly beaten and abused. Basically, we're not. We can be as fanatical and false 
with anything we want to believe in general. As long as you don't openly slander an individual and stuff, you can teach and preach what you want to. That's part of our Constitution. But our persecution, tribulation, when we say through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom. The Christian has to be godly. Those who live godly, who profess him, must live godly in Christ Jesus. And that means they have to overcome. What do they overcome? They have to overcome the flesh, the world, and demonic powers. By resisting temptation, that's a form of overcoming wickedness. We say no to it. We get the power of the Lord to help us overcome and live that kind of life. The world means anything outside the kingdom of Christ. The political structure, the religious structure, all the world to a great degree is under deception and is under the power of the devil. Paul tells us this. He's the God of this world. And we have to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We're not to be drawn into their system. We're not to be living like they're living, trying to outdo the Joneses, trying to get as much money and power and notoriety as we can. See, this is of the world. John warns us about this, that it's not of the Father. He says, any of these desires to be like, these are fleshly desires to be attracted only to pretty people and nice people and influential people. This is the respect for persons that will get you into hell. Scripture warns about that. They tell the rich and the, the mighty, Paul tells them when they come to the Lord, he said, condescend to the lowly. Some of the Corinthians didn't do that. And he despised the poor slave Christian and wouldn't even eat with them and they were struck dead and many of them had to repent. They didn't repent, they went to hell. That shows you what God thought about that. Professing Christians or Christians who fallen into this thinking they were better because they had an education or they had money. Actually, it goes against them. So it's looking at Christian calling. Not many are rich. Not many are noble, not many are wise, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this, what the world considers foolish. He says, they're unknown, Paul said, but he said, they're well known. Christians are not popular with the world. These mega ministers that everybody talks alike. Jesus said, be careful when men speak well of you. He says, for so they did of the false prophets. If you don't, Get persecuted sometimes if people don't say things that means you're not living the true gospel. See? But I want to be light. I said, well, that's the problem. The fear of man is the snare. The fearful and unbelieving are the first people cast in like a fire. They're ashamed of Christianity. They don't want to be persecuted and mocked because they're Christian. Well, as I've said before, when those people are in hell and you're in hell, it ain't going to mean nothing what they thought. All of those people, their opinion will mean nothing. The only opinion that matters is Christ. So we need to study scripture. People don't know this because they don't study scripture with an open mind. That's why I've seen people, they just jump over scriptures they don't like. 
Oh, I like this promise. You know, the little promise boxes. Never once do you find in the promise box, and it says, if you don't follow the Lord to the end, you go to the lake of fire. You don't find that. You don't find negative things, see? They distorted the scripture. I thought at one time of having a promise box and 30% of the scriptures warning people about judgment and hell. Well, you wouldn't buy that, would you? Many people wouldn't. See, they want to have their ear tickled every day with a good prophecy. Well, they're in. They're going to be deceived. And God knows that. And he allows them to be deceived. So I will give you manner to eat. The hidden manner is Christ himself. He's the bread of life. When you take communion, you take the symbol of his blood and of his body. Remember that. So here's a relationship that you receive from Christ is what he's going to give the overcomer. And so we have to understand this. So we get whatever Christ inherits for everybody. Oh, there'll be degrees of rewards, but everybody gets these things that are promised in the seven churches. Some will get more. Some will have a different standing. The Bible says that baby Christians and novices, when they teach wrong, it ain't referring to a heretic, but he says, if you teach wrong, you'll be considered the least in the kingdom of heaven. That tells you, well, you'll be at the bottom. Even being the least person will be better than being anybody in hell. Let me tell you this. Let's take a break here. We'll come back to this. <laughs> 